This message was presented at the GYC 2015 conference called Chosen Faithful in Louisville, Kentucky. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. Heavenly Father, thank you once again for this incredible opportunity. Lord, these are current day issues, and you have not abandoned us. You have not left us without answers. And Lord, your word has been provided for all time. Help us to see that, Lord, even in the words that may sound different uh, in speaking, in the way that we speak today, to realize that this was put in place to be there for uh, a guide for us, to be there for security for us, that we can know who we are in Jesus Christ, and that there is no one on this earth that you do not love, and that you don't love one person over another. Lord, help us to see that we're level at the foot of the cross. Help us to come together and walk together, even though someone else is different than ourselves, to have that deep love. Help us to remember, Lord, that Romans 5.8 says that you loved us while we were still sinners. Lord, it is a delicate topic, and so I pray and ask for the presence of the Holy Spirit, but I pray, Lord, that you will cover us with your blood, that you will protect the equipment, that you will protect the people here, that, Lord, you will speak through me, and that you will send Satan and his angels far, far away from here. Lord, put a band of angels around us and help us to listen to the small whisperings of the Holy Spirit upon our hearts. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'd like to get acquainted. And the way to do so would just be to say, who are you? A Christian. All right. Who are you? Brooke. And let's see here. Let's get some variety. <laughs> Tell me, who are you? A child of God. Amen. And last but not least, who are you? I'm a new creature in Christ. Oh, wow. What a profound answer. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I think it's important for us to recognize today who we are. And the world is talking all about who we are. People are saying, just be yourself. And so if we are just being ourselves, without some kind of guide, we can end up with all kinds of different kinds of identities. Satan is out to sabotage your identity. Don't forget that. And so it's important that we, that we go to God's word that we can trust for all time and make it relative to our lives today that we can understand who we are in Jesus Christ because Satan's campaign will not end until Jesus comes to redeem his own and take them home with him. If he can get you to believe in a false identity, then he believes that he has won the battle. Remember, Satan knows God's plan of salvation better than you and I know it. He knows the Bible better than you or I know the Bible. And so we run the risk today, if we are not secured in God's word, I see things happening today. There's lots of opinions today, lots of people talking today. And what the danger is that's taking place is that there is an equation of human knowledge to God's knowledge. That's the danger zone uh, uh, that we're facing today. So before I go any further, um, we have a lot of people surmise a lot of different things about us and, and the message. In fact, a lot of people are surmising about us today who have, haven't even heard our message. Things are pinned on us like, uh, oh yes, coming out ministries, they support um, conversion and reparative therapy. 
let me tell you that the only conversion therapy that we support is the conversion that comes from the Holy Spirit on your heart about giving your heart over to Jesus Christ. All right, all things are possible through Jesus Christ. So I'm not going to limit that, that somebody today who suffers from same-sex attraction God may gift that person, as he has my colleague, Ron Wolsey, with a wife and family. But he may also ask for Wayne Blakely, who lived a life full of, of illicit sex. He may say to me, Wayne, you've, you've had that kind of intimacy in your life for many, many years. What my plan is for you until the day I come, it may be intimacy with Jesus Christ. You know, is, is that a death sentence? <laughs> Or is it, a, is, is it a gift of eternal life in the long run? So let's think about these things. Some of what I'm going to share with you today is going to be really difficult for you to listen to. Really difficult. And so try not to judge me. And we're going to talk a little bit about judgment. But listen to what I'm saying and then go back to the Word of God. No matter who you're listening to today, whether it's your pastor whether it's a professor at, a, at an Adventist college, whether it's a book you're reading or you're listening to someone from Coming Out Ministries, go back to the Word of God and search God's Word to see if what you're hearing is in agreement with what the Word of God is saying. I'd like to start today by asking a few questions. Thank you very much. There are lots of things that have the potential to shape our, identi our um, identity. Um, for those of you, uh, actually I'm going to save the questions for just a moment. I'm gonna, some of you may have not heard my testimony before, uh, so I'm going to try to give it to you in like three minutes. Um, when we are born, uh, we are born with a, a fallen nature, right? We don't arrive perfect, and I don't think that we leave perfect. Um, and so, my mother, uh, my birth mother, uh, did not want a, a boy under any circumstances whatsoever. And so, prenatally, there was a lot of influence that was taking place on the fetus. Um, by the time I was born, it was likely that already that it, my attractions were not going to be towards my mother because uh, before I was two years old, um, she had broken my arm in two different places on two different occasions. Um, she did not want to have a baby boy. But God already intervened in this precious life knowing, I believe, that what God would be doing with me today put me in the presence of um, an aunt and uncle, um, Adventists, both of them who uh, raised me. And by the time I was three years old, I was running around the house uh, wearing a dress, screaming, I don't want to be a boy, I want to be a girl. Now, who would have put that in my head? And where would it have been that I thought that I would gain love and affection, that I would, be, uh, that I would matter and that I would belong, if it wasn't to try to please my birth mother and to be the little girl that she always wanted me to be? It was stuck in my head for a long time, probably up in the time, until I was about 18, 19 years old. What would have happened if my parents at the age of five or six would have done what many parents are doing today and getting me a sex change operation? But then I realized that I, I am comfortable in my masculinity and that God reveals my masculinity to me you know, at the age of 18, 19, 20 years old. I'm stuck, right? Isn't it a little too early to making those kinds of decisions, or shouldn't we be looking to God's plan very early um, for, in a child's life, introducing Jesus Christ to that child? We're missing today much of the conversation that needs to take place, and so that's why we're reaching out through Coming Out Ministries to help provide some, of edu some education from experience itself. There are a lot of people that are reaching out today from... Uh, from scholastics, from academics, and yes, we're going to talk about some of those positions um, later in the presentation. Uh, by the time I was um, 18 uh, years old, I uh, realized the church wasn't going to help me. 
Um, in fact, they were the ones that were whispering about me and pointing at me and laughing at me. And so um, it was a, an Adventist uh, friend that I got acquainted with who said to me, uh, Wayne, um, Adventism breeds homosexuality. Whoa, <laughs> strong words there. Why do you say that? Well, he said, you're gay, I'm gay. I go to school with some guys at La Sierra College who are gay. The church does a real good job of telling us that homosexuality is sin, and then it's silent from there on out, and nobody talks about what it is that we should be doing with what? Temptation, desire, absolutely. And so now we're starting to have the conversation. Well, now the pendulum has swung the other way because now many people who used to laugh and point at me, well, they're still laughing and pointing at me today, but it's for a different reason. They think I'm an extremist, a religious fanatic. All right? Praise God. Yes, I am. Because God has done something new, and what he's done for me, he's capable of doing for you, whether you suffer from same-sex attraction or some other kind of temptation or desire. And so we have to put faith and trust in the word of God because it's there for all time. He is not going to let you down. The enemy will let you down, but God will not let you down. And so it is my prayer that through this presentation, today that you will understand what a changed life is. And the changed life isn't about taking somebody who's gay and making them straight. Because if I'm having the kind of sex that you're having, or the kind of sex that's recommended from the Word of God, the sex alone doesn't make me acceptable to Jesus Christ. That's not what my redemption is about, is it? Isn't the activities that I do and participate in my life the result of putting my faith and my trust and my belief in Jesus Christ and walking with him? Won't he let me know? Won't he be my compass as to what's right and wrong? So I ask you, what defines who you are? Who defines who you are? When did Christians start defining themselves as sexual beings? Don't you usually hear people saying, we're all sexual beings? Where does God define us as sexual being, beings? Definition. Where does God define himself? as a sexual being. And lastly, have we doubted God's word and begun to accept the language of others? Are we going to somebody else's opinion today instead of the word of God to see what God's explanation is for the mess that we're in? Jesus asked us to model our life after his. He says, to be holy as I am holy. Is being gay holy? Is being heterosexual holy? God doesn't say be sexual because I am sexual. Jesus didn't go to his closet of robes and say, now which robe is going to make me look the sexiest today? This sounds kind of ridiculous, right? Think about it. I, I urge you to think about some of these things that I'm saying a little more carefully. If God has put his word there for us and asks us to be like him, why do we put such an, an amazing amount of emphasis on sexuality? Our sexual identity, uh, our sexual identity didn't define who Jesus was. This term is... is is used very loosely today. Uh, sexual orientation. Where did it come from? And is it supported by God's word? There's not a day that goes by that I'm not reminded about my same-sex attraction. But is there a psychological explanation for that? Or is there a biblical explanation? And which one provides a permanent solution? Why is there so much focus on sexual orientation today? I'd like to give you a little bit of a small history lesson. 
In the 1940s, a man by the name of Alfred Kinsey took an interest in developing research about sex. Um, it was a taboo topic in most circles, and so the enemy got involved by taking someone who would be willing to talk blatantly about sex. He had no special qualifications. I mean, he was a college graduate. Um, but what happened was he began to do some uh, research with some very unethical approaches. Uh, um, Kinsey's research involved over 10,000 interviews. It was later uh, discovered that he was homosexual and engaging in sex with his researchers. Part of his research was taking infants and manipulating them sexually to orgasm, thus creating the term that he would use later that, we, that children are sexual from birth. A group was developed called Before You Act. Its purpose was to normalize a person's attraction to and treatment of children rather than seeking to protect children from those with um, sexual desires for them. There were no limits on his explorations as it came to sex and the discovery of sex. So why is the reference to Alfred Kinsey so important here? Well, it's important because public figures, public school figures, begin to take notice of his research. And during his research, um, a lady uh, by the name of Mary Calderon, who is the director of Planned Parenthood, began to think along the lines that Kinsey did. And she wanted to revamp um, how uh, we look at sexuality today, and particularly among the youth. And so she developed uh, an organization uh, that was called SECUS, uh, which is sexually Im Sexuality Information and Education Council of the United States. Guess who funded the organization? Hugh Hefner, president of Playboy. Are you just a little concerned yet about how sex education entered into the school system? This was rapidly adopted by public school systems, but let me tell you that in my research I found that Christian organizations quickly took and adapted the sex education into private schools and into Christian campuses teaching sex education, thereby taking away something sacred, something that uh, should have been uh, introduced, which today still isn't, appropriately, isn't always appropriately introduced by parents in a home where they're raising children because they, they don't want to talk about sex. But we, we'd be more helped by having biblical explanations than to get worldly ones which ended up taking over. Um, in the uh, public school system, there are 21 points that they wanted to teach five-year-olds. And number one was uh, that boys and girls have body parts that feel good when they're touched. You know, so this is a five-year-old that they're talking to. Some men and women are homosexual and will fall in love with each other. Um, touching and rubbing one's own genitals is called masturbation. And the list goes on, and it's pretty extensive. Uh, Dr. Miriam Grossman, who was a child and adult um, psychiatrist, she began to realize that her prof profession was being hijacked. And so she began to study out some of these sex education claims. She, be she began to calculate the price that was being paid in society as sex education was taking its toll on, on society. She said, whoops, sorry. Um, Once kids believe that sexuality is who they are, their entire selves, from womb to tomb, the idea that it's an appetite in need of restraint makes little sense. And the notion of waiting years for the right time and person sounds irrational. Why restrain who you are 
Why wait for your entire self? Couldn't that be unhealthy? These, there are much deeper implications uh, today about Kinsey's theories that many people have adopted. But I think that you can begin to see how dangerously shaped our lives um, have become around the language of others. Rather than the education that relies solely on God's word, Satan is cleverly grooming people today, society, um, according to his agenda, not God's. But I hold out to you that the great controversy is still at work, and all sides are vying for your allegiance. An author, Linda Bartlett, writes this. Quickly, let's see, let me write that. Hold on. The gradual slide toward paganism starts when a person still committed to the Bible entertains dissatisfaction with something God says about sex. And a single logic connects a series of steps that extend from sliding ever so slightly from a biblical teaching at one end of to the full-scale full attack on biblical morality on the other. As a result of the sex education, guess what there was an increase in? Abortions, homosexual behavior, uh, obviously pregnancies, uh, euthanasia, and also pedophilia. And so, once more, have we listened too much to the language of others? Have we gradually put too much emphasis on sexual orientation? And so I want to ask you, have you contemplated? You know, this may seem archaic today, but I think we have to go back because God's still looking for his, his peculiar people. Have we contemplated who we are through and by Jesus Christ's standards. Are you full of all kinds of Bible truths and it's all been swimming around in your head for years and you're doing all the right things, you know, you go to church and, and you do everything that, you know, Seventh-day Adventists do, but you don't have a practical application of your Christianity. You don't really even know and you're not even sure whether or not God loves you or if, he, or if he takes personal interest in you. And I'm willing to guess that you won't ever find out. Until you take personal interest in him. He has not left you. He has not abandoned you. You are not alone. For years now, it is the desire of Mike, of Ron, of Danielle, and myself to somehow convey to you how deep God's love is for you. The world is screaming at you. Satan is screaming at you. Pick up the word of God. You know, go to the Psalms. I don't care if you just stay in the Psalms. The Psalms will convey to you the deep, deep love that God has for you. And, and start talking to God. Start saying, God, you have told me that you would reveal yourself to me. And so you have to do that because I want to know you and I want to do your will. But I can't do it without you. I need to know your presence. And so speak to me and may your voice be louder than the, the, the voice that's coming from the world. Have we lost our focus? And is it time to come back and get our focus? Have we experienced the gifts that God has designed for us? Is the world just too loud that we're not able to sense them? Do you want everything that God has promised you? If it were possible, would you want to be a new creation in Jesus Christ? What if it is possible? 
More importantly this, if God says it's possible, do you believe him? First Corinthians 6, 9, and 10 are important. And I want to share it with you. I also want to include verse 11 that often gets overlooked. Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. It's a pretty exhaustive list, right? It's not just targeting homosexuals. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God, and now you are a non-practicing homosexual. Well, some of you are not real sure about that. Maybe you should pull out your Bibles and check for sure. As somebody who spent 40 years in the gay culture thinking that that was exactly who I was. I was gay and I became very proud of it and I spent even 12 years in male prostitution until God intervened in my life and he introduced me to 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10 and praise God, he showed me verse 11 as well. Because verse 11 tells me such were some of you. But you, you, you were washed, you were cleansed, and you were sanctified. And, and I have the right to claim that today. And you have the right to tell me that it's not true. But I have the right to say that you're wrong. And I'm clinging and holding on to God's promise. And I'm very sorry that there are people in institutions today that are teaching you that it's not possible to be someone other than who I was, defined by my past, who want to say that today I'm still gay. And some of you may think that, but I hope that by the end of this presentation, and I hope that you'll grab the, hand, the handout um, that comes with the presentation um, to help you remember a little bit about what we've talked about today and to maybe even challenge it. And so God then says that I'm a heterosexual, right? No. Can, can we begin to have the real conversation that needs to take place instead of this group of people surmising what that group of people thinks and the other ones saying, you know, that I disagree with this group. Can, can we go to the word of God who we can trust? We can trust for all time. Because God, God's word promises me this. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17, he says, Therefore, after all this, after all that, 40 years of believing a lie, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, and the new has come. Isn't it wonderful to claim the identity that God gives us? It's beautiful. Now, the word that we seem to have a lot of difficulty about is the word change. Change that's possible through Jesus Christ. Even some Christians are making some confused noises about change ministries. They'll tell you how much damage change ministries have done, but they don't tell you what they're talking about because... We, we are a change ministry, but we are a change ministry that's not about changing your sexuality, but about changing your heart. And when your heart is changed, and when you're living in agreement with God, he will guide you with respect to the fruits of living according to his will that may or may not include sexuality. That's a unique relationship that comes through God. But God's plan for your life is never going to disagree with his word.
I'd like to, to share a, an inspirational quote that I found in Great Controversy recently that says, um, let the people of God arouse out of sleep and begin in earnest the work of repentance and reformation. There's a lot of people today talking about love and affirmation, love and acceptance, but no reformation. What do I do with this love? Let them search the scriptures to learn the truth as it is in Jesus. Let them make an entire consecration to God and evidence will not be wanting that Satan is still active and vigilant. With all possible deception, he will manifest his power, calling to his aid all the fallen angels of his realm. There are strong, heavy, dark forces that are fighting against you. We're in a war. Please, people, recognize that we're in a war right now. And time is short. I know, I truly believe in my own life, and I believe in yours too, that God, and you look around at this world, look at ISIS, look at that, that all, all the confusion, all the uh, increased natural disasters, everything that was foretold that would happen is happening right before your eyes. Satan wants your soul. But Jesus wants your soul too. And he's not going to, he, is not, he doesn't force himself upon you. And he doesn't yell at you. He will speak to you in a still small voice while the enemy is yelling at you. Be careful of who you're listening to. We can't rely on somebody else's word. What I or somebody else is saying to you has got to be tested by the word of God. When I gave my life back over to Jesus Christ, um, I'd only been six months out of homosexuality and I was invited to Andrews University um, in 2009 to speak briefly at a conference called Marriage, Homosexuality, and the Church. There was a lady that had been very instrumental in my conversion, and I said, uh, who, who am I now? Oh, she said, you're still gay. I said, what? That's right. She says, God doesn't change your orientation. He, he doesn't? He he can't or he won't. What, what do you mean? I mean, if, if I'm not redeemed from what I was doing and who I was, then who am I? Are you putting limits on God? What do you mean God doesn't change your orientation? Are you telling me that when my life was so oriented to my flesh and to my desires that because of the conversion and the conviction of the Holy Spirit that I'm still gay? Remember, this doesn't have to do with sex. God doesn't actually promise us sex. It has to do with a change of the heart being oriented to God and to his plans. My orientation changed. Sex is not my compass. Today the word of God is my compass. And I'm oriented to Jesus. I see that he gives us two orientations. We're either oriented to the world or we oriented to Jesus Christ. You're hearing things much about sexual orientation today that are predominating, or I mean, that are dominating um, your views today. And so again, I ask you to go back um, to the Word of God. Because Isaiah 43 18 and 19 says, Forget the former things, all right? Forget the past. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland. My life was full of wasteland. On uh, October 9th this year, 
a position paper, a statement, was released by Andrews University on homosexuality. It's a 21-page document. Um, it's available online. I've also put a link to it in my um, uh, handout, which I don't see, but I was told would be provided. Uh, it is available online um, at uh, gycweb.org, I believe. I want to say that we've had a very long time of silence with regards to homosexuality. Um, we started speaking out a little more loudly about this issue from the standpoint of redemption from homosexuality about four years ago. That's, a, a, I guess we were, yeah, a little over four years that coming out ministry has been in existence now. Um, and so about the time that we started speaking, um, other people were like, well, yeah, I have something I want to say too. And so you start, we started getting, now you can imagine, because we're speaking from, from a biblical perspective, we, the church didn't come get us. God did. And when he came and got us, the way he reached us was by by our studying and looking at what God said and believing in what God said instead of what all these noises coming from the world, from, from academics, from all over the place. You know, people were talk, beginning to talk about this. And academics want in on this territory as well. They, they want to have something to say, something solid that can be put on paper. But I'm wondering if in... In doing so, if, if an element is missing from the discussion or from uh, what's being put into paper or being set up as standard today by not talking to those who have experienced redemption from homosexuality, who could say, yeah, I agree with that, or here, you might have missed this uh, because this is something that we've discovered and this might really help, help your, your paper or your presentation or your statement. And so I want to applaud um, Andrews University for making a bold step in stepping out and wanting to help those who have suffered so greatly for so long. Um, and so I want to review a little bit of what they've said, and, and I would just want to add that I think that there could be some additional things that could be adapted or added to or maybe changed that would help make the statement even more powerful um, and in and, and more agreement uh, with God's word today. Um, the document clearly states in the first 15 pages that homosexual behavior is sinful behavior. And I'm not an academic. I'm, I'm not a professor. <laughs> I'm just a student of God with a sordid past. <laughs> but I'm sensitive to how somebody describes me as who I am today. And so I'm listening very carefully. I'm well aware that the of what the document says and what it doesn't say um, as someone who lived in, in the gay culture for 40 years. Um, but isn't it possible that more is possible than what this document suggests? On page three of the document, the ethics committee that put this together um, had some things to say. Um, And, and what they said was that we uh, don't want to enter into the debate about orientation because God's word does not um, substantiate or it doesn't support orientation, sexual orientation from God's word. Uh, to me, that's a huge clue. That, that if God's word is not talking about sexual orientation or using sex as our compass then we would be in grave danger to do that ourselves, wouldn't we? So we've established um, that sexual orientation is not um, substantiated in God's word. The statement that I, I'm referring to says, we do not enter into the debate over whether or how much of the orientation is inherited or acquired since no scripture passages directly address this point. 
I began to wonder here, again, if we begin to start listening to, as I was referring to early in the presentation, the language of others. Because my safety, again, only comes from God's word, but because there is so much language taking place from psychology, Christian psychology, um, academics, and not a whole lot with regards to practical and relational Christianity, um, that, that that's why we need to have this conversation. I'm quoting from page 16 where it says, also after condemning homosexual practices in Romans 1, 26 through 27, Paul states in Romans 2, 1, therefore you have no excuse, whoever you are, when you judge others for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, are doing the very same things. Thomas Schmidt has provided wise admonition for us today. We must express our disapproval of homosexual practice in the context of our own sexual fallenness. Wait a minute. That, when I read that, I was like, did we just get an admonition that we need to, instead of addressing sexuality from a biblical standpoint, that we must address it from the standpoint that we're all sexually broken. Are you telling me that no one is living in accordance with God's guidance on sexuality from the, out of the word today? Shouldn't we be listening to people who do have a knowledge that agrees with God's word about the issue of sexuality, not to take it from the standpoint that we're all sexually fallen and broken? I'm sure that you've heard the caution. This comes up uh, almost in every presentation, or if not during the presentation, afterwards. You know, Wayne, we're not supposed to judge people. Well, I'm very well aware of that, and God has told me and revealed to me, even in this quote, that by my judging of someone else, I will be more harshly judged. But you know, that is, that's like a, a, a free ticket out for so many people for the justification of sin. What God has asked that we don't use our opinion or point to ourselves when we're talking to somebody else about a particular problem, but that we would point back to God's word, who is judge? And not use it as a, as a sledgehammer by any means, but engaged in a conversation with someone, can you say, can we go to God's word? Would you be interested in going to the word to see what God has given to us about this topic. Let's look and see what he says, not what I say. Let's not escape God's judgment, but certainly not put our own judgment on others. On the same page, um, this statement is made, and by the way, I'm not, I'm not criticizing, but I'm asking you to consider for yourselves what the document is really saying. Um, I have to ask myself if that's what's going on in God's word, um, or is this telling me about a sin problem rather than a creation problem? Most, if not all, have heard sermons that condemn homosexuals as persons failing to distinguish between homosexual attraction or orientation and the practice of homosexuality. All persons, including practicing homosexuals, should be made to feel welcome to attend our churches, while non-practicing gay persons should be welcomed into membership and church office. In our study today, did you find from the biblical position uh, as it relates to this statement that I should be identified as a non-practicing homosexual? I'm, I'm just wondering if the document may have missed the mark on what's possible through Jesus Christ. It could have been an oversight. And I know that these are theologians and academics, and there is the study of theology, but from a practical Christianity, Christianity, I myself had to do my studying also to see what kind of change Jesus had promised and what kind of change he has made in my life. 
And if the statements we make are in agreement again with what God's word has to say. That Jesus forgets my past and he gives me an identity in him that is not based on my past or on my temptations. I am not defined by my past or my temptations and I don't identify by my temptations and let me encourage you not to identify as yours either. 1 Corinthians 6.11 didn't tell me that non-practicing homosexuals will enter into heaven so please, please church, don't fall short of what's possible through Jesus Christ. Don't, don't throw somebody a bone. But give them everything that Jesus Christ promises them. A new creature in Jesus Christ. Yes, you're going to be tempted. Yes, you're going to have a struggle in life. But if I identify by my, fast, my past, then it acts as, as a chain to me and it weights me down. If I identify by who Jesus says I am in him, I begin to see that all is possible. What is possible with him as I walk with him? And there's a lot that he reveals to me along the way. Sometimes I'm pretty stubborn. Just ask my colleagues. But you know what? Finally, I'm seeing changed. God sees us for the potential that is in us. My colleagues have hung in there for two or three years. They were thinking, Wayne, you know, man, are we going to have to deal with this, the whole length of this ministry? And just recently, a couple of my colleagues have said things that will choke me up, and I'm not going there. <laughs> but I'm blessed that, that I do see that change is possible through Jesus Christ. I'm beginning to see the change. So don't define somebody in a social, political correctness that doesn't do anybody any good. Let's look a little further. On page 17, the document says, Recent literature denies the possibility that gay and lesbian persons can be changed and even claims that change attempts are harmful. Other important studies show that there are occasional reliable testimonies of such change among those that seek for faith-based counseling. What change? Tell me what the change is. Nobody is talking in the document and spelling out what is it the change that you're saying causes damage. I, I very well might, in fact, I think I'm pretty sure that I know the change they're talking about is taking somebody who's having homosexual sex and trying to insist that they have heterosexual sex. There. Now God can love you. No. That's, God's not happy with that outside of the right confines that he condones through his word. It's not about the sex. It's about the heart. He wants your heart. He wants you. He wants you to fall in love with him. But if you're not spending concentrated, dedicated, special time with him, you'll never know how much he loves you and how much you could possibly love him and what's possible because of loving him. It's not about becoming heterosexual. It's about becoming this new creature that Jesus has promised me. Change ministries, this change ministry, I assure you, does not do damage. This change ministry is about helping you be everything you can be. Be the person that Jesus has asked for you. He designs for you personally to be in him. And remember, it will never disagree with his word. It will be all of what he desires for you. Psalms 91 is a beautiful psalm to tell you about the promises of who Jesus has, who Jesus has given to you. Just as Mike says, and I like to repeat it, that uh, Jesus doesn't promise to make me straight and date and mate. When I read this document, it, it actually hurt me because it, 
said to me that we say that you're still gay. You're just a non-practicing gay. It made me less than what who God says I am today. It goes on to say gay and lesbian members who choose to and remain abstinent should be given the opportunity to participate in all church activities, including leadership positions in the church. Um, just wanting to know here, as I go through my parishioners in my church, and I'm a pastor, uh, excuse me, are you a practicing gay, or are you a non-practicing gay? Practicing? Non-practicing. Just need to know, because I'm not going to put you up on the platform unless I know if you're a non-practicing gay or not. To me, the terminology and the language that we've adapted from others has gotten to the point that we're dissolving the real issue at hand. And so we lose focus of who somebody really can be in Jesus Christ. And everyone, absolutely everyone, should be welcome to come through the church doors and to sit and seek Jesus Christ together. And just as when we give people Bible studies about the Sabbath, um, and they may be Sunday keepers, and they come into agreement with God and His Word, and they, and they want to be all of who God has promised, and they want to uh, honor His statutes, and they say, yes, I accept these, these doctrines, I accept these truths from God's Word, and I want to be baptized, and I want to be a member of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And so it's important that love and truth matters and that we don't just wash, whitewash this or water down the gospel. We need to know who we can be in Jesus Christ, not a non-practicing adulterer or a non-practicing alcoholic or a non-practicing thief or a non-practicing murderer because we'll give those people leadership too. Wait, 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 wait a minute. Out of 1 Corinthians 6, it took me a little bit to read all of those sins. The idolaters, the, the adulterers, the homosexuals. I mean, it went through this whole list. But do you know that out of the entire list, and we're, we're in this denomination together and studying God's word together, why is it that, and I don't think it just happened to Seventh-day Adventists, but it's happening now, why is it that we took homosexuality and we said, all right, let's take that one out of this big, huge group and let's put it over here by itself and let's give um, some special labeling to it, like a non-practicing homosexual. I mean, well, it's still disgusting, but, you know, they're not practicing. I'm thinking that the language of the paper, maybe if it could have been run by some people who have come out of homosexuality, who have experienced redemption in Jesus Christ, who also admonish the fact that you too can have a new identity in Jesus Christ, that we're all into this together because coming out ministries today is screaming and yelling not just about homosexuality, but saying we are all in this together. Let's throw homosexuality down into the pool of sin and just view it as we view all sin as something that God finds repulsive and let's grow in Jesus Christ together. Let's support one another. Let's walk with, with, with each other. Let's not have a separate identity that this is the pink triangular section over here of the church and here are the straight and narrow people over here. Uh, no, come on, let's come together and have this conversation together. And don't sell me short of who I can be in Jesus Christ. I see this document as a cry for help. I see it as a cry to, to speak to lesbians and gays and people um, on campuses today about who you really can be in Jesus Christ. In this document, I didn't find any tools to help. Uh, one of the... One of the statements in here says, let's bring the, 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 the gays in because they struggle about sex the same way heterosexuals do. 
but there was nothing there that said, here's how you can be helped and here are some tools that will help all of you who are struggling. It just put me into the same sea as everyone else as, as though there was no solution. God has not left us. He has not abandoned us. He has not left us without solutions. There is a call to holiness in the document. How can you be gay and holy at the same time? How can you be uh, an, an adulterer and be holy at the same time? Or, or any of the other things that are listed. When we're called to holiness, that too is a new identity. Holy is, holiness means that we're to be set apart. You know, a lot of us see that it's not possible to become holy. Only God can be holy. But we've had, uh, I think, a maybe mixed up definition about what holy is. Holy is about defining yourself as being somebody different and set apart from the world and being in agreement with Jesus Christ. These are a holy people set apart for Jesus Christ. And he is soon to come and take us home as his peculiar people, safe. Safe to be with him throughout eternity. My friends, I want to tell you today, I've told you a, a minuscule part of my life, of my history and about my colleagues. If we came out of homosexuality and we found finally that in this darkness of not talking about homosexuality that we could have an identity in Jesus Christ and that we would know that we are loved and accepted by Jesus Christ, why wouldn't I have the same compassion and the same tenderness and the same love for people who are still struggling? I'm not here to beat my chest. I'm not here to blow hot air. I'm here to to convict your hearts or try to help convict your hearts that change is possible for all of us. All of us, no matter what you suffer from. I don't care what it is. Don't define yourself by who somebody else says you are. And maybe not even listening to some of your own self-talk. God's word is there for you. His promises are there for you. They are abundant. Get King David says, if we would hide God's word in our heart, it would keep us from sin. I'm still, that's hard. To me, that's memorization. I want to memorize things that are helping me because I know that day is coming. And it, who knows, is it through ISIS or is it through somebody even closer to home that is going to say, Wayne Blakely, you can't have a Bible anymore and they take it away from me and, and you can't access it. They're not being, they've made sure they don't get sold anymore and the electronics are, are maybe they're not going to work anymore. And the only way that I'm going to be able to commune with Jesus Christ is going to be right from here. My heart and his. And I want to be able to remember and to recall the promises that he's given me that have helped formulate my life today, change my life today, that hold me today, that if I fall today, that there are promises. I have not thrown grace out the window. I'm reading a book right now that says that we're in the tension of grace and truth. Involve yourself in this ministry. Somebody else's baggage is going to be disgusting to you. Guess what? Your baggage is disgusting to them. But love them for the potential that Jesus sees through them of who they can be in Jesus Christ. To live in agreement with him. Let's live in agreement together. Share with me what's on your heart. I've had people share with me. Before coming here, knowing what we would speak about and what's on their hearts. There are people sitting among you today who have struggled since the ages of three and four years old with sexual issues because the enemy is so loud in this life and so much he has cultivated, so much he has thrown at us through media, through, through um, um, music, through through movies, through all kinds of, through advertising, who have gotten us uh, stimulated and tweaked 
uh, about sexuality, of interest in that. And so there's been such a loud cry that the, the enemy is making his last attempt to steal people's identities and make them not who they could be in Jesus, but to make them somebody just sexual. It's the thing that's the button that he seems to be able to push that everyone seems to respond to. And I want to help you recognize that through the word of God, through prayer, through putting God's word in your heart, that when Satan starts pushing those buttons, you can say, you know what? That's not going to work. I'm connected to Jesus Christ, and he is the one that will hold me. And I'm holding on to him. I'm not giving up. I'm not letting go. I knew who I am. And I am a child of God who he deeply, deeply loves. And so my love goes out richly to the gay community. You have a right to come and question me. And so come and, and, and question me. What is this change in your life? How come you're not identifying by who we know you to be? You still have same-sex attraction. You're gay. Yep, I'm still tempted. But it's not who I am. I want to live according to God's will. That's what he asks of me. The rainbow doesn't belong to me. It belongs to Jesus Christ. I'm giving it back to him. I'm, he loves me more than the creation of that rainbow. He loves my heart. He loves your heart. And I pray that we all have different styles. And I pray that, that through one of us, that you'll somehow sense that the Holy Spirit and God is calling upon you, that you hear. You didn't come to GYC to just get more head knowledge. My uh, experience with J GYC is that people are coming because they want to seek change that is possible by listening and addressing these, these current issues. Uh, what do I do in this life at this particular point? And how do I become a peculiar person for Jesus Christ? How will I, how will I um, be able to walk through this earth with the persecution that is coming towards me? How do I prepare myself for that? How do I know that I'm everything that I can be through Jesus Christ and that he doesn't, he doesn't want to disown me? Let's find out what the grace is. The grace is always there. The forgiveness is always there until you stop asking for it. That's my fear about grace. A man came to me after a presentation um, a few months ago, and he said, uh, oh, yeah, Wayne, I, I get it. <laughs> so you live like a monk. I said, really? I don't know if I like that. I says, I know some monks have actually been accused of, of child molestation. I don't think I want, I don't want that identity either. He says, well, I live under grace. I said, really, what? What kind of grace is it? Is it cheap grace? What'd you say? I said, well, you just told me I live like a monk, but you're telling me that you live under grace. So if you are dealing with the same temptations that I have, does that mean that you're able to live in open sin as long as you just believe in this grace? Because I said, you know what my fear about that is, is that someday that you'll feel so justified in the practices that you have or caving into the temptations that come natural to you that you'll just see it as normal and you'll stop asking for forgiveness. Let's not cheapen grace, but boy, let's not let go of grace because <laughs> I live under grace every single day and I want to be all of who Jesus says that I can be. And so just one more Word of prayer, just to close this session. Thank you so much for your patience and, and for listening so intently. Heavenly Father, thank you again for the opportunity to, to share about what's possible through Jesus Christ, to recognize our identity in you. Let it not be formed by the world, but formed by, by what, about who you can say we are, who you do say that we are, Lord. We are all your beautiful creatures. And we can all be new creatures in Christ every day as we surrender and as we abide in Christ. I am not safe, Lord, for one moment of an unbroken relationship with Jesus Christ. I must stay secured in you.
but help me to run those promises and those identities in my mind constantly, Lord, so that I have great value in who you say I am. And I pray that, Lord, you will put this same conviction in the hearts and lives of those here and those who would be listening, that they can recognize, I am a child of God. And I have a future that will go for eternity by living in agreement with Jesus. I love Jesus. And we want to love you more and more each day. Lord, continue to send your Holy Spirit throughout these presentations. Walk with us, guide us, and direct us, and protect us is my prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. This message was recorded at the GYC 2015 conference called Chosen Faithful in Louisville, Kentucky. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire young people to be Bible-based, Christ-centered, and soul-winning Christians. To download or purchase other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org.